welcome to the Business in Vancouver podcast. I'm Haley Wooden. I'm Tyler Orton. And this podcast is brought to you by Manning Elliott Accountants and Business Advisors. Our guest today has been on the show before, Matthew Klippenstein. He is a professional engineer who heads Electron Communications. He's the first person to track Canadian electric car market, and he has been a correspondent for GreenCarReports.com since 2013 and regularly provides Canadian electric vehicle commentary for television and radio, both English and French. He also covers the fuel sector for prominent American clean tech site, greentechmedia.com and he co-hosts the clean tech podcast clean tech talk podcast i should say and you can give me a reach on twitter at electroncom hey i want to thank you for joining us on the show once again matthew oh thank you for having me so the reason we're bringing you on though is because there's a new report the fuel cell industry review that you've contributed to here and it's breaking down a lot of what we saw last year and maybe we can also dive into some things that we can expect for 2018 altogether but let's Talk about this just to get it out of the way. When it comes to, say, electric vehicles, hydrogen fuel cells, the whole market going on in Canada, technology that was being produced as well, what was 2017 like for this industry? Sure. So 2017 uh, was another good year of growth for the electric vehicle industry. We can perhaps focus there first. The overall electric vehicle, plug-in electric vehicle sales, cars that you can plug in, not just hybrids, they represented a little bit less than 1% of the total market in Canada. When you add in hybrids, it was about 2.1%. And there's an interesting dynamic because while BC leads when you consider hybrid and electric vehicle sales together, 3.5%, Quebec is 3 Quebec actually leads when it comes to actual plugging in electric vehicles. <laughs> they were 1.6% versus us, about one3 or so. Is, is that because maybe additional infrastructure that they have, or is it just the way that, I don't know, maybe the markets have shaken out uh, between the two jurisdictions? Yes. So in their case, in some cases, their um, incentives are a bit more generous. So they give up to $8,000 for purchasers of a long-range electric vehicle. Uh, BC offers up to $5,000, but if you're ha- if you're trading in an old gas-guzzling um, gas clunker, you can get another $6,000. So in some cases, BC could be a little bit more uh, generous. The, the question is, you know, how many former Hummer drivers are going to be switching over right. to like a, a GM Bolt EV or something, right? Uh, nonetheless... It really is. She, she you know... <laughs> She's you do never giving up my Hummer. No, yeah. I don't. I okay. definitely <laughs> do not. I drive not an electric car. I'd love, I'd love to get one. But I think a lot of people uh, have the concerns around where you plug it in. You know, if you don't have it at work, if you don't have it at home, then I don't want to be caught somewhere in the middle of nowhere waiting with my car, which we've talked about with you before. That's right. And uh, especially in Vancouver proper, almost 70% of uh, households now are in multi-unit buildings, which means you might not have total control over whether you can plug in, you might have to ask your strata council or the landlord, something of that sort. Or even just think about street parking for a lot of people. Are, are you really going to get an extension cord from your three-story <laughs> apartment building all the way down to the ground floor where your car is parked? Right. And so yeah. that is another barrier um, that actually opens up uh, one of these openings for fuel cell vehicles uh, in that um, – you can kind of think of electric vehicles as starting off easy because people have some people have their own garages which aren't full of camping stuff. And they might have a second car they can use for road trips if they absolutely need it. Mm-hmm. And then they get a bit more difficult as as your market share increases because sooner or later you're going to run into people who might have to clear out their garage or they might not be able to charge at work as well or people who are living in apartment buildings or condos. 
fuel cells actually are the opposite way in that really you need to get the the first fuel companies willing to put in stations and once that's there then it's a little bit less difficult to uh to sell further ones because you don't have to worry about where you park or are you going to plug in or you know what if i want to take a longer trip in the winter when my battery doesn't have quite the same range it's a uh, they they work in in tandem i guess you could say that they they approach the uh the solution of um low carbon transportation from opposite sides I, I'm curious about the fuel cell example because we can wrap our heads around how long it's going to take you to charge and how much mileage or kilometerage you'd get out of that. But with regards to fuel cells, how long you know would that last before you need to re-up on that? So the so Hyundai recently uh, revealed its second generation fuel cell uh, SUV. I guess possibly the third actually, and that is supposed to be good for I think it was 370 miles. You know so. About 600 kilometers, five, 600 kilometers. And the refueling, if you have a station available to you, of course, uh, would be on the order of five to 10 minutes. Uh, now, a lot of people on the electric vehicle, a lot of electric vehicle advocates really hate fuel cells. And a lot of fuel cell advocates really hate battery electric <laughs> vehicles. It's one of these uh, narcissism of small differences that uh, Freud talked about. Sure. So, so, uh, so well, where do you come down on the, argument? so I, I try to be neutral. You know, okay. I own a plug-in okay. electric vehicle. I worked in fuel cells. Uh, they're both complementary. It's, uh, it's a much more effective. I think if we kind of both team up on fossil fuels, than kind of bicker amongst each other, there, there are advantages and disadvantages. Certainly if you have a garage, I can't imagine that, uh, you know, you, it would be a bit of a stretch to think, well, I'm going to choose a fuel cell vehicle. On the other hand, if you live in a multi-unit dwelling or you might move to one, um, uh, then there would be a, a much more of a hesitation, I would think, to buy a plug-in electric vehicle, especially a battery electric vehicle, a pure battery electric vehicle, which doesn't have a gasoline um, a range extender. Uh, there, your fuel cell might, uh, might be more appropriate. Yeah, my 1974 building is not exactly primed for uh -huh. the technology of the future. Uh, but I have a question for you. I'm, I'm really behind on this. I've just gotten into Black Mirror, which, of course, is a popular show on Netflix, and I'm catching up. There's a scene where there's a car, and she charges it with solar panels. And I'm curious, because we talk about the logistics of moving around the infrastructure needed. Could we get to a point, or does the technology exist with uh, other fuel cell technology, other electric versions, that it's sort of self re-energizing in some sort of way where you don't need to rely on being physically in one particular place? Yes. So the top of the line Toyota Prius Prime, that's a plug-in hybrid. That's the plug-in version of the Prius. It um, it has been available in Quebec for six months. They got first dibs because of their zero emission vehicle mandate. It uh, They just announced it would be available in BC and elsewhere maybe end of January or so. So internationally, that is available with a solar panel on the roof. And that will be good. I, I don't remember offhand, but it was something on the order of maybe 20 kilometers a day, just because um, you can't have that many solar panels and none of them, they won't all be angled towards the sun as the mm. day goes on, right? You've got a curvy roof. Yeah. Uh, so in terms of recharging something with solar panels, maybe if you're in Arizona or maybe in Vancouver in the summer, Sure. Maybe you could get some range, but it is highly doubtful that, especially in Vancouver, outside of summer, 
that anyone would want to rely on solar panels to move their vehicle or to recharge their vehicle because it does not always it's it's always sunny in Philadelphia apparently but uh, <laughs> but not so in Vancouver. No. Yeah, maybe if uh, you bought a truck with that feature and then got a canopy, you could even like expand mm-hmm. that solar panel oh. to a certain degree. I don't know. Yeah, like a like there. a large SUV. Um, yeah. It uh, GM has announced, I think today, that at the North American Auto Show that they have a platform for uh, electric vehicles that they're pursuing for SUVs for trucks, or at least they've strongly hinted that. And it would not be a surprise if the top of the line came with a, a solar panel along the roof where you could partially recharge. It's kind of a gimmicky. It's kind of what the what the alpha buyer would want. Like, hey, you know, my car, my truck is so cool. It can run on batteries. It can recharge with solar. <laughs> and maybe there's a gas backup or something uh, in case they want to tow the boat to the lake. It's like you're stealing the words out of Haley's mouth that she was speaking just right before you came in, Matthew. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. yeah. Um, so one of the key things, you know, that I, I always think about is a company like Ballard here in Van or out in Burnaby, and it, it's specializing in fuel cells. And people were like wondering where they were eventually going to end up. They've had a new CEO for about four years now, and we've seen a lot more business going on in China, for example. How has the China market uh, been changing, maybe the, the fuel cell conversation, and has you know Ballard benefited from that at all? Yes. So Ballard and Hydrogenics as well, another uh, Canadian fuel cell company, have benefited tremendously from the ramp up of, in interest in uh in China for alternative fuel vehicles. Some people are familiar with the fact that China has very strong policy support and subsidies for battery electric vehicles. Uh, And it's less well known, but they have an equally aggressive support for fuel cell vehicles as well. And part of this can be explained by the fact that China for years now has foreseen that it would become the world's largest importer of oil. And last year, I think it actually did become the world's largest importer. And unlike a mature market like Canada or the United States, much of Western Europe, uh, their oil demand is likely to increase even if they get you know, 10, 20, 30% of new cars being battery electric because so many new people are joining their middle class and entering that car buying demographic. So there is, it's not, necess- it's not just a, an idealistic, wow, guys, these guys are environmentalists. It, there's a very strong practical reason, like, you know, we don't want to be beholden to various um, oil exporters of, of dubious nature. So Chinese support for fuel cells has been one of two prongs, really, which has really propelled uh, the market in the past few years. The other prong has been Toyota, who has until recently been somewhat dismissive of battery electric vehicles and very, very staunchly pro-fuel cell. So in the past three years, in 2014, um, the overall global fuel cell market was about 200 megawatts. It's a bit of an abstract number. Uh, we'll we'll get to we'll get to this uh, comparison shortly. And three years later, last year, it was about 670 megawatts. And again, that's kind of abstract. But that growth rate and those numbers, 670 megawatts, those line up very closely with where solar panels were in 2002 where wind was in 1994. So we can see that after a very long, excruciating, loss-making time in a trough of disillusionment (laughs) after the hype peak around 2000, uh, the fuel cell industry is growing. Uh, That growth is driving cost reductions. Those cost reductions are allowing uh, the 
industry to enter new markets, which allows for more volume and more growth and more cost reduction. So it's a there's a virtuous circle or maybe a flywheel effect, if you will, which is at play. It is still very small, but for those um, who remember uh, what it was like 20 years ago, dismissing fuel cells now is at risk of dismissing solar 15 years ago and at risk of dismissing wind about 20 years ago. It is still small. It's rounding error in the big big picture, but it's on a trajectory where it will become significant. And from a Vancouver perspective, since Vancouver is the cradle of the modern fuel cell industry, um, we are like ground zero, really. Then uh, it's it's uh, that's a big lever we can use in terms of our own industrial development, business development, and uh, centers of excellence that we can that we can uh, take advantage of. Well, do you get the sense though that we are? taking full advantage of, you know, the possibilities in front of us, uh, just different industries, maybe uh, different levels of government as well with regards to the potential for the fuel cell industry? Yes. So it would, of course, advocates or fans of any technology will always want more support. That That's a given. Uh, there has been, with the uh, new federal government, uh, there has definitely been st- a stronger push towards um clean technology industries of which fuel cells are one. And so it has been heartening to see some of this increased support uh, for uh, expansion of fuel cell infrastructure for fuel cell um, technology deployment. It would be nice uh, to have somewhat more of the cases where government is the first adopter. It's not the customer of last resort, but the customer of first resort. Um, I think uh, Mariana Mazzucato explained this in her book, uh, The Entrepreneurial State, a few years back, how uh, strategic investments by government to be the first large um, consumer of a technology can really help companies hit that critical mass where they can enter the uh, broader markets with a, with a vengeance, with a fury. And Perhaps because Canada is 35 million people spread across a massive geography, it's sometimes a bit more difficult for us to get that those our, our companies, uh, not just in fuel cells but elsewhere, to get those first few key projects with which to then go internationally and say, "Hey, we've done this successfully in our own country. Uh, you guys do it too." We often get the feedback that companies are going abroad for key projects and. Their counterparts are asking, well, why didn't the Canadian government fund a project or two to demonstrate this before you you know, came to ask us? So what do you think the disconnect is there? The Canadian government has been very supportive of technology over the last number of years in general. And we know that we have a lot of talent here in this space in Vancouver. Why has, haven't we seen that pairing of funding or government saying, you know what, we're going to, we're going to back this? So I think that there's the... There is definitely uh, support out there. There are uh, both good intentions and there is funding. Some of these things will take a little bit of time, however, in terms of, let's say, in October 2015, the new federal government said we want to strongly support clean tech industries. Uh, it takes time to work with provinces, with changes of governments in provinces to lay these things out. We will see uh, a number of uh, collaborations uh, coming together. Uh, there is... Um, there is talk that uh, there will be some hydrogen fueling stations uh, developed here uh, in the Vancouver area shortly. It's expected that uh, there will be some in Ontario and Quebec as well. Uh, and additional policy support to 
ensure that uh, this uh, highly Canadian, so Canadian-born or reborn technology uh, has its opportunity to uh, really shine. It's, if, sorry, to take a, a step back, um, there was a lot of hype around fuel cells around the year 2000, and the investors at the time, they were just one tech bubble too early, really. I mean, Mm. Um, the 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 dot coms of their day of, of that era were the cryptocurrencies of sure. of today, and yeah. so uh, it's it's completely understandable that someone might be a little bit tired and cynical about uh, fuel cells. They'll always be the technology of the future, uh, but we have actually achieved this uh, this threshold where um, we are on this uh, exponential ramp. We're going to take a short break. Haley, you got to go for another interview. Yeah, but I'm, I'm going out. to continue talking to uh, Matthew Klippenstein. But uh, the, in the meantime, I should say that this podcast is brought to you by Manning Elliott Accountants and Business Advisors. Manning Elliott has been providing expert accounting, assurance, business advisory, tax and valuation services to businesses in the lower mainland and Fraser Valley since 1952. If you're serious about taking your business and brand to the next level, if you want an accounting firm that'll be there to help you every step of the way, give Manning Elliott Accounts and Business Advisors a call at 604-714-3600. That's 604-714-3600. Or else check them out on their website at manningelliott.ca. And we are back with Matthew Klippenstein from Electron Communications. We're talking all about the Fuel Cell Industry Review 2017, which he co-authored here. You left off, you, you had brought up the point just before the break about uh, we we're getting these hydrogen stations uh, being built locally. Maybe if I play devil's advocate for a, a certain moment here, uh, there is kind of the argument that maybe they're not as environmentally sound as um, other renewables. What would you say to somebody making that argument, though? Yeah, so it is entirely true that taking renewable energy and putting it into a battery, for example, uh, is and putting that battery into a car is more uh, more efficient than um, taking renewable energy, generating hydrogen, uh, and then uh, using that hydrogen in the car. Uh, at the same time, not all electricity, maybe in BC we're a special case, but in many places electricity is still generated somewhat from fossil fuels just as most hydrogen right now is generated from natural gas. So there are emissions associated with that. Uh, that said, efficiency isn't everything. Otherwise, everyone would be driving a Prius. You know, the, the Ford F-150 would have gone the way of the dinosaur. So efficiency, as, as valuable as it is, and I'm a, high, uh, I'm a big proponent of it, uh, isn't everything and not all consumers will follow in that vein. Got to ask you this, though, uh, and this is going backwards just a little bit with regards to fuel cells, because this is something that I, I wonder if maybe there's misconceptions to a certain degree. If we're looking at the China example, are, are they actually investing in like a lot of passenger vehicles or is it more like, um, I, I know Ballard has a lot of success with, say, forklifts, for example. Uh, we also have a lot of buses being purchased as opposed to just kind of uh, four-seat uh, vehicles. When we talk about kind of uh, market interest, where are we seeing it from specifically within this kind of uh, market for vehicles? Definitely. So on the passenger vehicle side, um, that's a situation where, especially with the millions, a uh, couple million uh, battery electric vehicles or plug-in electric vehicles have been, that have been sold, certainly batteries have a massive advantage. You wouldn't expect fuel cells to be to dominate that market for decades, if ever. Uh, however, on the heavy-duty transportation side, buses, delivery trucks, trucking especially, there are weight advantages that you can get and productivity advantages with fuel cells in that uh, the fueling is generally faster and the 
amount of weight that uh, these the solution provides it's lighter it's closer to a diesel uh, engine compartment volume and so um, a lot of the interest in china has been for smallish range extenders fuel cell range extenders for battery electric buses or delivery trucks and here you don't have to build a, a massive you know 130 150 horsepower um fuel cell stack, you can have a smallish one and it kind of trickle charges the battery over the course of the day. And what that allows the bus designer, the truck designer to do is they can put in a somewhat smaller battery, not as heavy, and they don't have to worry about that one day when they do a long shift in the middle of a cold snap in December. Uh, because for these productivity markets, um, if, if you're in a car and you have to change your plans on a personal trip, that's not, not the end of the world. It's not going to cost you pro, not going to cause profit or loss. However, for transportation uh, industries, uh, that can be a, tr a really big issue. So there are productivity advantages and weight advantages that fuel cells have over pure battery solutions in these heavier vehicles. Forklifts might be the, 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 the most common example now. That's kind of the first market where if Amazon or, or Walmart have a big distribution center, with the lead-acid batteries they're using right now, they might use up about 10% ballpark of their floor space for battery recharging infrastructure. Uh, when they switch over to, to fuel cells, and they are, uh, on you know, gradually, sequentially, all of their um, locations, all their warehouse distribution centers are, they can, br they can claw back about 8% of that so that the fuel cells only take up 2% of the space. Mm. And that's a massive capital savings because then they don't have to expand nearly as much. Uh, so the and in addition, there are productivity benefits because uh, the fuel cells only need a couple minutes to be recharged versus uh, driving your forklift over, having a heavy battery switched out. Um, I guess you could say that productivity is the uh, is the lever where fuel cells find advantages over batteries in certain cases. If we look through 2018, though, what challenges? still persist for electric vehicles, vehicles that are using fuel cells, though? So for electric vehicles in 2018, I imagine the, uh, the, the biggest thing that's holding back electric vehicles, I would imagine, apart from battery cost, which is still something uh, which is still high, it will, it will decrease greatly over time. Uh, the, the breadth of products on the market doesn't cover the full spectrum. We don't have any plug-in electric trucks. Ford will come out with their plug-in hybrid F-150, and we'll, I'm, I'm very much uh, looking forward to that because that will shift the entire conversation around electric vehicles from something that urban types like myself drive to, oh, ex-urban, suburban, uh, you know, rural folks uh, might have finally an electric vehicle that speaks to them, that has advantages that they see. So the thing that's perhaps holding electric cars back the most is the variety of models on sale. Uh, those models are coming in the next few years, so we will have a plentiful supply of uh, products at, uh, in every uh, segment, and so we'll see what the core consumer demand is soon. Well, yeah, you brought up the Ford F-150 example, and I think something that's maybe underreported, though, is the Quebec market, it's actually huge for pickup trucks, and I mm -hmm. don't know if everybody out there realizes just how much demand there is in Quebec, and I, I wonder, do you think that could be a bit of a test market uh, for 
I don't know, other jurisdictions across the world, they can see how much demand there is in Quebec of all places. We're already seeing the demand for EVs. If we see that, you know, kind of get intertwined with the already existing demand for pickup trucks, I'm wondering if Quebec could be a bit of a special example going forward. Quebec will probably be the first market in Canada when new product offerings arrive because it has this zero emission vehicle law. So manufacturers will get credit for selling plug-in electric vehicles. So uh, as in the case of the Toyota Prius Prime, they sold in Quebec for about six, seven months before it will become available across Canada. Excuse me. That said, as big as Quebec is within Canada, it's it's relatively small compared to California and uh, other American markets. So the decisions by the automakers will still largely be driven by the American market. But within Canada, Quebec certainly has the biggest uh, club. It has the, has the most uh, weight in terms of uh, influencing automakers' uh, product introduction decisions. Excellent. Uh, before we let you go, though, Matthew, I want to know just how do you think, you know, 2018 is going to fare versus 2017 when we think about these markets altogether? Sure. For the electric vehicle market, so we ended last year uh, a little bit shy of 1% in terms of overall market share. With the introduction of the second generation LEAF, there's a there's a wonderful Mitsubishi Outlander plug-in hybrid SUV, a non-premium SUV which plugs in, uh, the Prius Prime becoming available countrywide, and knock on wood, the Tesla Model 3 may be actually, you know, getting getting out of their production hell. That's big maybe. I don't that, know. <laughs> that, that is admittedly a very big maybe. Uh, one hopes that uh, we could uh, hit perhaps one and a half, maybe even 2% market share. We'll, we'll have to see how that goes there. Uh, for the fuel cell industry, uh, for its part, um, last year there was only growth about 30% after two years of about 100%, uh, 75%, 100% growth. Uh, it seems plausible that the industry will grow by about uh, 50 odd percent this year. So we'll continue its trajectory of slowly tracking what solar and wind were doing back in their, uh, their early days. So in one case, Ballard Power has been EBITDA, net EBITDA positive for five quarters, which is quite an achievement uh, for any fuel cell company. So uh, one hopes that for the benefit of the sector, uh, we get Perhaps it's Ballard, uh, one of the publicly traded companies, to turn profitable as that will um, finally show that, yes, fuel cells are starting to become ready for prime time, you know, the real world. Uh, with the amount of uh, wheeling and dealing um, that uh, Ballard's uh, management team has done in a number of years with the momentum in China, then perhaps um, yeah, perhaps that festive uh, milestone will be achieved soon in this, uh, this cradle of the fuel cell sector. Well, excellent. Matthew, absolute pleasure having you back on the show. Well, thank you very much. That's Pleasure Matthew Klippenstein. He is from Electron Communications, and you're listening to the Business in Vancouver podcast, which, of course, was brought to you by Manning Elliott Accounts and Business Advisors. Matthew, if somebody wants to find you online, if they want more information about what you're doing, what's the best way to track you down? Uh, you can uh, tweet me at uh, electroncom, C-O-M-M. Um, my email address is uh, matthew at electroncommunications.com. Um, those are probably the uh, easiest ways to do so. Well, excellent. Thank you so much. Thank you.